You're listening to another life-transforming message from C3 Church San Diego. For more information on our church, go to c3sandiego.com. Now I want to get into, get into the message. If, if a couple of weeks ago I preached a message. It was called The Remnant. And uh, this is kind of how I, I see like part two of that message, uh, which is for, for everybody. Uh, even if it's your first time here, you're going to get something out of this. Um, so girls, I've found, dream and have visions of their wedding day. They have these these uh, incredible visions, even as young girls, guys don't have this. Everybody's, all the guys are saying, no, we don't have this. But girls dream about the day of their wedding. They dream about what they're going to look like. They dream about what the flowers are going to look like, the tablecloths, who's going to be there, what they're going to wear, what their bridesmaids are going to wear. They dream about all of this stuff. And normally they do all the planning. They pick the food. They pick the venue. You know, they pick the pastor, whatever. They pick everything. Um, and they might let us be involved in a little bit. Some people more than others. Um, my wife let me be involved a little bit with the choosing and the taking care of the limousines. Um, it was the one thing. It was the one thing. And uh, we got engaged in a tricked out uh, stretch Hummer limo. That's how we got engaged. Like, it was kind of like, you know, this whole plan I had, and we got engaged in there. And then, um, so my wife's probably thinking, oh, you can get the limos. Like, how hard is that? Like, you did a pretty good job on the engagement. So uh, I'm like, oh, limousines, easy. I got a friend who, his company is right next to a limousine company, and uh, he could probably get me limousines and a good deal. And so I called my buddy. He's like, oh, yeah, we got, I know these guys. You know, we're, we're uh, good buddies. And so he, he gets me these two limousines and a smoking deal. I mean, like, w- great deal. The problem was the, uh, the white, like, 1970 limousine that my wife had with her bridesmaids failed to have air conditioner in September in San Diego when it was about 100 degrees at our wedding day. Uh, my limousine, that might have been like 1975, wasn't much better. Um, did have AC though, <laughs> and um, so I was kind of in trouble before we ever started this thing. <laughs> but she decided to, to do it anyway. So we ended up getting married anyways, despite you know my my one job that I failed on. Um, but. Uh, but, but, but the wedding day is the day. The, the bride is the jewel of the wedding day. It is her, she shines the brightest. And all of her dreams and all of her visions of this day kind of culminates in one moment of the wedding. And it's when everything stops. When the ante- anticipation is at the highest level of the day. The music stops the people stand and the bride is about to walk down the aisle it's the most anticipated moment of every wedding ceremony and so the bride is is sitting back waiting for that song to start before she starts her walk that she's probably practiced (laughs) 
And then there comes that moment where the song starts and she starts that walk. Everybody's standing. Everybody's wondering, what is she going to look like? What is she going to wear? What's her makeup like? That's what Pastor Charles is wondering. Like, what's her makeup going to look like? <laughs> Some people are wondering, why would she marry this scrub? You know? <laughs> but everybody's wanting, wanting to, to, to catch a glimpse. And then she starts to walk. The music starts. She starts to walk down the aisle. And as she gets past every aisle, people get a glimpse of this glorious bride, of her beauty. And it's such a powerful, powerful moment that oftentimes people are crying. Uh, the attendees are crying as they see the bride for the very first time. As she approaches her groom, it becomes more powerful and more powerful and more powerful. It's perhaps the most exciting and glorious walk that she'll ever take in her life. And eventually she gets there and they get married and everybody celebrates and it's just the, the most uh, extravagant moment, magnificent moment, the most magnificent and extraordinary relationship that any, anybody can ever be a part of. It's the pinnacle of every wedding ceremony, that walk down the aisle when the bride comes. The title of my message this morning is, Here Comes the Bride. I feel like I wrote this for you, Soriano. I kind of feel like, here comes the bride. And I feel like God gave me this picture of this moment at a wedding ceremony when the bride is about to walk down the aisle and that she is the jewel of the day, the bride. Her glory, her beauty, her brightness, God gave me this picture of the bride because there is a day that is now where the bride of Christ is coming to, down the aisle. And it is a significant moment in time. It is the most significant walk that we could ever make. It is the pinnacle of this life of creation. Here comes the bride. And the bride is coming strong. She's coming glorious. She's coming beautiful. The bride of Jesus Christ is about to walk down that aisle. It is the pinnacle of all of creation. Revelation 21, 2 to 4 says, John is, is seeing a vision, and it says, I saw the holy city. And when they say the holy city, if you do a study, it's actually the, the church, the people. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All of these things are gone forever. So there will be a day when the Lord will return to his bride. And it's going to be the most glorious day. It's the pinnacle of this life. The Bible says in Ephesians 5, 25 to 27, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that we should be holy and without 
blemish. The day when Jesus comes back, he will come back to a church that is glorious, beautifully dressed, without spot or blemish. It will be the pinnacle of this ceremony of life. The bride joining the groom, it's going to be extraordinary. It's going to be magnificent. But he's not waiting till that day to move. The preparation has already begun. The walk has already started. The bride is coming, and the bride is coming in power. The bride has already started the walk, and it is going to be glorious. The bride, is, God is not going to come back to a bride that is beaten up, broken down. He's going to come back to a bride that is glorious. And I believe the world is in anticipation, eagerly awaiting. The Bible says all of creation is eagerly awaiting for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God, of the church. A glorious church, people are waiting. They're waiting to get a glimpse of the beautiful church that God is building. They're waiting. Here comes the bride, and this is the day. Today is the day that the Lord has made. Today is the day of salvation. God ain't going to wait till the end. He's moving now. He's preparing the bride now to be glorious for when he comes back. The destiny of the church is not just pain and persecution. Jesus didn't die on a cross so that we could just limp through life. The future of the church is glory, and the future is now. The future is now. The church, the bride, is on the move. Acts 1.8 says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It doesn't say that when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you shall receive power to go hide in a cave with a, with a can of baked beans, a jug of water, and a pack of matches to, what, to fight off the mosquitoes while the devil ravages and dominates the world. That's not why the power of the Holy Ghost is coming on you. The power of the Holy Ghost is coming on you to be a witness out in the open into all parts of society and culture and to invade every sphere of San Diego and beyond. The church ain't weak. The church is strong. Here comes the bride, and she's coming in beauty and in glory and in power. You shall receive power to be a witness God has given you authority over all the powers of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. The same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in us, the Bible says. The whole doom and gloom theology that the church is going to get weaker and weaker and weaker, is, it doesn't make sense when you read the Bible. Why would God give you the power of the Holy Ghost, give you the same power that raised him from the dead, but it not be enough to overpower the enemy? Why would he do that? He ain't going to leave you as orphans. Huh? He gave you the third person of the Trinity himself to live in you who make up the church so that you can take that walk, that glorious walk, and that people can see you. We're to be witnesses. Doom and gloom. The church ain't going to get weaker and weaker. Jesus told the disciples this. He said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I'm going to give you on earth the keys of the kingdom of God that whatever you bind, whatever 
you bind whatever sickness, whatever demon, whatever devil, whatever obstacle, whatever attack you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. That doesn't sound like a weak church to me. The church is people and it's built on the earth. The church is made up of people built on the earth. We don't have to wait for the glory until we get to heaven. We're going to see some glory when we get there. But I believe we can experience heaven on earth. Jesus says, when you pray, pray, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why would he do that if the church was just going to be backed up into a cave while the devil just ruled and reigned? It doesn't make sense to me. The bride is on the move. The bride is on the move. Now, Jesus is the head of the church, right? He's the head of the church, and he is strengthening his body, which is us. We're the body of Christ. We make up the church. The church isn't buildings, it's people, but we need buildings to come and get trained, equipped, so that we can go out and, and be a light into the world. But, but, but the church is people. And so God is, Jesus is strengthening all of the different people, all the different parts are important because he wants the church to advance. He wants the church to grow. Sometimes we think of the church as just this big number. Well, there's 2.7 billion people that call themselves Christians. So the church is 2.7 billion people, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the church is strong. God, God is building the individual person stronger so that the global church can be stronger. So we need to think of the individual person becoming stronger so that the church can be stronger. God is, Jesus is strengthening everything. Why? Because he launched a building program thousands of years ago. It's called Building the Church. And so he wants the church to be strong because he's coming back to present a glorious church to himself. And so I love Ephesians because it talks about how strong you are. But a lot of people don't realize it. But I'm going to tell you what he's already done to empower you and who you already are. Ephesians 1, 19 to 23. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? So he's already saying, uh, Paul is already saying he's got this exceeding greatness of his power that's toward you if you believe. According to the working of his mighty power, which God worked in Christ when he raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at God's right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality, power, might, dominion, every name that is named, not only in this age. We don't have to wait till we're in heaven, this age. And also in that which is to come. And he put all things, everybody say all things. He put all things under his feet, and he gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, and the fullness of him who, fulfill, who fills all in all. So this is amazing. Jesus was raised up. He died, raised up. God raised him up, put him above everything, put all things under his feet. And he said the power that he demonstrated towards Christ in this age and in the age to come. Now, that's Jesus, who's head of the church. Now let me tell you where you fit in. Found in Ephesians 2, 4 to 6. It says, but God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, God does everything because he loves you. He loves you. He loves the church. It's his bride. That's how much he loves the church. 
because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sin, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And raised us up together. Say together. And made us sit together. Say together. In heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So let me just tell you how strong you are and how powerful you are. That not only has God raised Jesus up to sit by him in heavenly places, far above all principality, power, might, and dominion, anything with a name, but he raised you up with him together and seated you with him together in heavenly places, far above all principality, power, might, and dominion, anything with a name. That's who you are. That is the strength of the church so the world can stand to their feet and watch us because here comes the bride, and she's coming in power. She's coming in strength. She's coming in beauty. She's coming in glory. She's coming strong. We're not running into no cave. We know the world is dark. We already know that was going to happen. Isaiah prophesied it a long time ago. We know it's going to be dark, but guess what? That just makes us brighter. That just separates us even more so people can say, oh, okay, that's the church. I want to be part of that. This is what Isaiah said in, verse, in uh, chapter 60. He said, arise and shine. For your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people, but the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles shall come to your light, and the kings the brightness of your rising. Let me just tell you that there is a light that is upon you, but we got to rise and we got to shine and we can't be scared and we got to get out there because if the Gentiles are going to come and the kings are going to come, they're not going to come to a cave with a bunch of scared people and baked beans. Kings are going to come because they see a power that is greater than their power. Gentiles are going to come because they're going to see people that are transformed and saved and set free from the world that is dark and deep darkness that covers them. They're going to need a separation. And the Bible says that you are the light of the world, that you are the salt of the earth. The taste of the world is growing more bitter and more bitter and more bitter, which means that your salt is going to taste better and better and better. The world is like uh, bad chewing gum. It's like hubba bubba. You get like five chews, and then it tastes like silly putty. You get a jaw ache. That's what the world's like. When I was a kid, I was like, why can't you just make gum out of flavor? So then it would never run out of flavor. I don't know, sounds smart to me when I was six or whatever. <laughs> But that's like God. God is like made out of flavor. Like he, he doesn't run out of flavor. The salt never loses its flavor. It can. We can, make, we can lose ours, but God is never going to lose his. So as long as we're shining, we're never going to lose our flavor. Our salt is going to continue to taste better and better and better. He never runs out of flavor. He never runs out of power. He never runs out of forgiveness. He never runs out of uh, love. He never runs out of grace if we're willing to repent. Just ask the criminal that was on the cross when you get to heaven. See how much grace Jesus has. So that's like what God is. He never runs out of flavor. The church is going to be glorious. I read this scripture a couple of weeks ago, but I want to read it again because people think that the church is going down and down and down. But the Bible says that the, that the glory of the church is going to be greater 
in the future than it was in the past. Haggai 2, 6 to 9 says, For this is what the Lord of the heavens' army says, In just a little while I will again shake the heavens and the earth, the oceans and the dry land. I will shake all the nations, and the treasures of all the nations will be brought to this temple. I will fill this place, not heaven, this place with glory. Says the Lord of heaven's armies, the silver is mine, the gold is mine. It's not the devil's, it's mine. It's for the kids. It's for the saints. The silver and gold is mine, says the Lord. The future glory of this temple will be greater than its past glory, says the Lord of heaven's armies. And this place, I will bring peace. I, the Lord of the heaven's armies, have spoken. Jesus is building a glorious church. He's built, that's what we're building here. The vision, Jesus had a vision. It was to build the church, and that the gates of hell would not prevail against it. That was his vision. It's the leader, the head of the church, Jesus, who sets the vision. It's the people that set the pace at which the vision can be accomplished. So without the vision, the people perish. Without the people, the vision perishes or takes a really long time. So it's up to us to set the pace of the vision, and we can do it. God wants to reach the entire world, all of the people of this world, all of the people of San Diego. Currently, the vision here in San Diego is one church in 16 locations. We want 16 locations because we want to expand our footprint. Why? Because with five, we got 3,100 people saved. With 16, how many people do you think we can get saved? At least three times that. At least maybe four times that. The bigger our footprint, the more people that are going to get transformed. Their whole lives are going to be altered, just like mine was because I came to this church. And God is moving. And so God spoke to Pastor Jurgen and said, 16 locations because I want San Diego. I want San Diego. And so if we can come under, talked about this a couple weeks ago, if we can come under the vision that God has to build the church, specifically here in San Diego, then you will almost like run into blessing. Because when Jesus says, I'm building my church, he's going to find a way to build his church. And so he's going to find people who are committed underneath, submitted to the vision. And he's going to say, I want to get blessing to you because I can get blessing through you. Because I want to build my church. That's his goal. And you're going to get blessed on the way. So if we can come underneath, if we can come underneath, his word never returns to him void. He will build his church with us or without us. But we have an opportunity to join ourselves financially, our families, everything that we do to the vision of God. And everything in your life will begin to prosper. He is not going to present to himself a bride that is broke, beat up, beat down, crooked teeth, stuff on her dress with a bad hairdo. He's going to present a glorious bride. And he's not going to, he doesn't want his bride and his sons and daughters to meet in a dump. He said, the holy city, the people, the church, and Jerusalem are going to come down. It's going to be like a beautifully dressed bride for their husband. David, in the Old Testament, King David, the Bible says he had, had a heart after God. He was an amazing king. He was setting out to build the temple of God, the original one that the, the prophet Haggai was talking about that they were going to rebuild. That This was the first one. 
If you look in the Bible, the law first mentioned, the first time that Jesus mentions us, he says that we are to take dominion and subdue the whole earth, that we're like him. And that's why Jesus came to get us back like that. The first temple is God's intention of what the, the house of God should be like. First Chronicles 22.5, it says, Now David said, Solomon, my son, is young and inexperienced. God basically told David, hey, you're a little older, you fought a lot of battles. How about if your son builds the temple? Solomon, my son, is young and inexperienced. And the house to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent, famous, and glorious throughout all countries. I will now make preparation for it. So David made abundant preparations before his death. I mean, this is a man after God's own heart, and he had a vision of what the church should look like, and he said it should be exceedingly magnificent and famous in all the countries. Not because it has to be, but because God deserves it. It's, it's, it's a house. It's not a building. It's a house of God. Jacob said it's a gate of heaven. It's an entry point into the supernatural. It's an entry point into a brand new realm. It's the house that God will dwell in. It deserves respect. It deserves honor. It deserves to be excellent. 1 Chronicles 29.3 says, Moreover, because I have set my affection on the house of my God, I have given to the house of my God over and above all that I have prepared for the holy house, my own special treasure of gold and silver. So David gives to the house of God, but then he says, you know what? For the building of this house, I have my own special treasure of gold and silver to sacrifice. And he says, I'm gonna give that to build the house of God. Why? Because I've set my affection. I realize that this is a place where my God is gonna dwell. So I've seen where he's, you know, in today's economy, given like billions of dollars, that is what this, it goes on to say, you know, the different things that he gave, silver and gold and all these things. A couple of billion dollars. We're not all in that place. We can all do something. We can all say, take something out of our treasure, something that's precious to us, something that's a little bit of a sacrifice perhaps, and give it to the house of God. Why? Because we've set our affection on it. We know, why, why shouldn't the house of God be exceedingly magnificent and famous. Let me just tell you that this building is becoming famous in San Diego. I'm just telling you. The building on the 78 is already famous. It's right on the freeway. And every time we plant a location, it grows our church. Because people in San Marcos say, oh my gosh, I went to this church. Oh, they have one in Balboa. Oh, they have one in Chula Vista. Oh, they have one in Salt Lake City. Every time we take ground, every time we take ground, it expands. It expands. It expands. So David had an affection for the house of God, and he took something out of his own special treasure. Now, this is the amazing thing. God knew what David and Solomon had in mind to build. He could have stopped them and said, you know what? I don't, I don't need anything that cool. You know, just use copper or, you know, wood and some cheap paint and, you know, cheap carpet. He could have stopped them but he let him build this magnificent, famous building. He's not embarrassed. And I'm not saying we have to have gold ceilings and gold on the floor. And but some people get mad because we have an LED screen. <laughs> but man, we gotta be excellent. God deserves it. 
We're competing against a world that pours in billions and billions into concert halls and cathedrals, and yet we want a penny pinch in the church. No, this should be famous. God is worth it. And by the way, there is no resource limitation. All the silver and gold is mine, says the Lord. And when we start to partner with God in building his vision of the church, you will be blessed and you will tap into a power that is not available out there. Deuteronomy 8.18 says this, And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth that he may establish his kingdom in the earth, his covenant in the earth. God is saying that if you give your money purpose to build the kingdom of God, he will give you power to go get it. As soon as our purpose for our money becomes the church, God's gonna start getting you power to go get it. Why? Because he wants to build the church. That is the underlying of this whole thing. That is his vision. And it will come to pass. And it will be glorious. And it will be strong. And it will be powerful because Jesus is building it. And if you want to step into a power, maybe you haven't experienced yet, to go and get some wealth. You still got to go get it. You can't just sit at home and you got to go get it. But there's a power to go get it now. There's a power to go compete in the marketplace because you're prioritizing the house of God. Last scripture, 2 Corinthians 9, 6 to 10. One of my favorite scriptures. It says, but this I say, this is New Testament. This is talking about giving, not tithing, into the house of God, into the things of God. It says, but this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. It's giving us responsibility for our future finances. Let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. We, we don't want to put your arm behind your back and, and try to like make you or convince you to give. I want to inspire you to give because I know what's on the other side of it. But don't give grudgingly. Don't give out of necessity. Don't give out of pity. God will find somebody else. He will because he's going to build his church. And he watches over his word to perform it. He said, I'm building it. He's going to build it. So don't give grudgingly. Don't give what you don't have. God's not interested in what you don't have. You know, like. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always, that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, in other words, that you're working and your money's not falling through the bag, like, Pastor Becky was saying, because you have all sufficiencies, all things, may have an abundance for every good work. Imagine being able to give to everything you thought was good. That's what the Bible says. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower, so if you, if you have a lack of seed, maybe it's because you have a lack of sowing. Because if you give your money priority to the church or to God, that he's going to give you some seed because he wants to build the church. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. In other words, he does want to take care of your day-to-day. -day. He doesn't want you to give everything so that you, don't, you can't live, you can't eat, whatever. He wants you to have bread for food. He wants you to have a house to live in, a car to drive that you like. It's okay. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the results of your righteousness. 
increase the results of your life. So he will supply and multiply the seed you have sown, not that you have pledged. So you can't kind of trick God and say, God, I'm going to give a million dollars and be like, oh, now he's going to bless me. Because he's not going to multiply the pledge. He's going to multiply the seed that you sow. So if you want to give a million, try starting at 10,000 or whatever you can sow so that he can multiply it so that one day you can give a million. He can only supply the seed that you sow. When I, when I got into ministry uh, a number of years ago, <clears throat> gosh, it's been um, eight years, nine years now, uh, I was coming out of, of real estate and my wife and I were in the middle of losing all our stuff. You guys know the story. Losing all our real estate. So we're, we're kind of declining, but I'm now getting back into real estate and I just closed like a, you know, an okay deal or whatever. And so I was kind of coming back a little bit and I was in, um, in Australia at the Presence Conference. And uh, I felt like God said, give $1,000 in the offering. Uh, so I gave $1,000 while I was in Australia and I didn't have $1,000 to give. Like we were literally uh, needing, we were needing uh, $30,000 over the next 12 months above what my salary was here at the church in order to live. But I knew from God that he was gonna take care of me. I knew from God, like that was, that's one of the times where you don't like, where you gotta know from God when you got a, a wife and a bunch of kids to step out like that. But I knew from God. So God said, give a thousand. I'm like, all right, well, I don't have it anyway. So what, you know, big deal. So I give a thousand. I give a thousand. I get back home and I'm, I'm, I'm like, you know, um, told my wife or whatever. And then I checked my, my bank account and it was like 740 something came out because it was the Australian dollar. And I was like, sweet. Like, I just like, hooked it yeah saved like 250 bucks and uh but it was like it was like gnawing at me it was like god told me to give a thousand not a thousand australian and so in that time my wife and i it was vision builders time and we had uh both randomly and this doesn't always happen for us by the way didn't happen this year didn't happen last year uh we both had a number separately which was the same number uh, and it was $6,000. Again, we didn't, have, we didn't have the money at the time to give $6,000 because that meant we needed $30,000 over the next 12 months to live because I needed $6,000 for Vision Builders and $2,000 a month just for like groceries and rent and stuff. And so that, that, that $750 that I gave was okay, but it wasn't what God asked me to give. I didn't fulfill my commitment. And so about four weeks after I got back, I called the, the church in Oxford Falls and said, how do, I, how, do I give, how do I give to you like online or whatever? And so they told me, and so I sowed or I gave the rest, the $250, so that I actually gave a thousand like God told me to give. Well, wouldn't you know, Vision Builders Month was coming. We had just pledged uh, $6,000 and we get a check in the mail. This is like a couple of weeks later. We get a check in the mail. And uh, I, I'm the first one to open it. It's from the state of California. I'm the first one to open it and I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool, like $2,900 and some change, like 800 and whatever. And uh, I'm like, hey babe, check this out, that's cool. You know, God's already blessing us. We're in the ministry and God's already blessing us, you know. And, uh, 
And uh, my wife looks at the check and she starts like freaking out a little bit. And I'm like, gosh, I mean, 2,900 bucks is cool, but it's not that cool. Uh, and she goes, babe, I cannot believe this. And I'm like, what? She's like, 29,800 and whatever. And I'm like, what? And I get that check back. And it was, I thought it was 2,900. So I just like looked at it real quick. It was 29,800 and whatever thousand dollars from the state of California. From three years ago, prior to that, an escrow from three years ago. I called my accountant. I'm like, hey, I just got a check from the state of California. He's like, the state of California is not giving away any money. Go to the bank. So I ran to the bank, <laughs> cashed that bad boy. But because we prioritize the house of God, God prioritized our house. It was amazing. It was amazing. He multiplied the seed that we sowed within, you know, a few weeks. Within a few weeks. And I know there's going to be testimonies um, like that here. Because when you prioritize the house of God, you tap into something. There is a power available to you. And the bride is coming. Here she comes. She's coming in power. She's coming resourced. And she's coming backed by heaven. It's called the church. And the world is anticipating. San Diego is anticipating the walk down the aisle. They want to get a glimpse of what is the church really like. And the church here, I believe, C3 San Diego, is a church that transforms people. That is the mandate. That is who we are. And the world is waiting for us to show up in beauty and in glory. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our pastors, team, and what we do at C3 San Diego, go to C3SanDiego.com. 